Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, JJ Peterson. Hi, JJ. Happy New Year, Don. Happy New Year to you. It's January 1. Woo-hoo. It's really not January 1. When we're it's going to be when people is. are listening but to this. But it feels like a new year in my heart. And everybody, everybody, everybody. every person listening to this is driving home <laughs> yeah. from their families, uh-huh. some of them functional, uh-huh. some of them dysfunctional. Uh-huh. Some of them functional, but victim mindset makes you think they're dysfunctional, <laughs> but you have the best family ever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all of that stuff. All of it. We've all yeah. eaten too much sugar. Oh, for sure. And it's time yeah. to think about 2018. Yeah. It's time to say, what are we going to do? Yeah, especially for me after last time when we talked to an astronaut, like the most inspiring <laughs> ever. And, uh, and you're like, you've been you self-conscious ever since I that have, episode. Because <laughs> you were like, so do you have any goals for next year? And I'm like, nope. You're like, would you jump out of an airplane? Nope. Would you get in a suburb? Nope. And in so a way, though, it challenged me because then I went back and listened to it again, and I was like, "Crap, Jerry, I need to get on <laughs> my going." There's two ways to look at that. One is the story only gets interesting if the character actually has some kind of ambition. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. Want to, they, want, they want to do <laughs> yes. something. So when the character just ain't going to do anything, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to get it going. Yeah. However, I have so much ambition now. There's another way of looking at that story because we debated: is that introduction to that episode <laughs> going to be a dud? Do we, are we are we going to turn people off? I would say. On the bright side, mm-hmm. that J.J. Peterson is somebody who is comfortable as he is, who he is. You're that successful. Is people like you. And there's something healthy about that. Yeah, there is some truth to so that. So maybe people would see that. You know, what we didn't talk about is I really do have a lot of goals for StoryBrand. Yeah, well, not just StoryBrand, but, but you've got your PhD thing you got to yeah, defend. Yeah. I mean, there's there was a lot, but there wasn't anything kind of like new that was jumping on at me. And I've actually taken some time and I'm still refining because I actually take goals and like resolutions very seriously. So Ooh, if it yeah. goes on paper, I'm committing to it. Okay. I bought my planner. Yes. My planner comes in and it, you know, has questions like, what are you dreaming about? And it's yeah. a whole 365 day planner. Yeah. But it's more of a planner. It's a goal setting planner thing. I got mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work on that. When Betsy and I get back from Christmas, because mm-hmm. we're going down to New Orleans, we get back from Christmas. I've got a week with no staff here and I'm going to plan my year. Yeah. And that to me is a very exciting time. Yeah. I like starting over. I like casting a vision. But since you're going to do the same thing. Yeah. The first thing that's going to punch us in the face yeah. is fear. Yeah. It does. Yeah. When you start setting big goals, fear usually hits you. Yep. And it comes in many shapes and sizes. Fear mm-hmm. of like, uh, well, you know, I've joined gyms before and it didn't work. Fear that you haven't changed. Fear of failure mm-hmm. is another fear. Fear of success yeah. is another fear. Yeah. Which I want to unpack a little bit. Yeah. And we're going to do that a little bit with our guest, Miles yeah. Adcox. But I think we all know about fear of failure. We all know about you know fear that we don't have what it takes. Yeah. But there's actually a fear of success, and I think it comes from maybe this is armchair psychologist. Go on. People in your life, early on or currently, who would be their lives would be disrupted by your success. Interesting. And the interaction between you is part of your security mechanism. I would agree with that in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. Okay, so we don't have to talk about that any further. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yes, no, I think there are moments in my life where this is a very small version of this, but okay. there are moments in my life that I don't post on social media. And part of it is because I just want to have them for me. Like they're just right. kind of like I'm not willing to live my entire life in public. But the other part is because I'm like people are going to look at that and – Oh, who do you think you are? Yeah, 
There's a little bit of that in some of the things. Or you do the false. I'm humbled today to do a songwriting <laughs> session with Taylor Swift. Yeah. I'm so yeah. grateful and blessed that yeah. most of the songs on her new album are. <laughs> but there, there is, I <laughs> think there true, is a way. fear sometimes of success in that one, if I get up on quote unquote this pedestal, can I stay up there? Yeah. You know, what's the next thing after that that I'm just going to have to keep working harder and harder? And you get afraid of that. I, I think a lot of times that actually motivates me because it's like, all right, what's next? You know, here we go. But at the same time, there is a fear of success in many ways for people who have already achieved at least some level of success. I think so. And there's a truth to the fact that the people who get shot are the people who are out in the open. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just had dinner with a prominent politician, governor of state. With us was a correspondent from CNN and a author of biographies, a bunch of smarty people. Yeah. And I asked the question... These people get attacked way more than I do. Yeah. What do you do when you get attacked? You know, if you literally go through the Twitter feed of Kirsten Powers, CNN correspondent, her life is being threatened. Yeah. And, you know, the governor, similar, you know, when he takes a stand on an issue that uh, is polarizing or something like that. And they just looked at me like, really? Like, you're still on first base in this thing? (laughs) (laughs) That's like elementary school, buddy. You just don't read it. Yeah. You don't read it. And I think there is a comfort level that everybody listening is going to have to get to, that maybe what's holding you back is you don't want to take the risk of standing out. You don't want to take the risk of moving ahead. You don't want to take the risk of changing lanes because people are going to honk at you. And I think you should do it anyway. And everybody around you will get used to it. And people attack the people who are in front of them quite a lot. But if you can get used to it, you can really build a pretty cool life of impact, of influence, of success. And, and that's not to say that that's okay. Like, it's not like we're going, oh, ignore, you know, attacking other people is not great. No, no, no. I'm not saying, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not defending no, the people think who are doing the attacking. Are, I think for those of us who have gone through that, it's like, yeah, that actually sucks, but it doesn't mean it's not worth it. Yeah. Right? Like, there will be those moments that are just actually hard and where fear will come in. Fear isn't always bad. Well, first of all, I'd never written a book and I decided I was going to write a book. And so that was the first round in my life of attacks of who do you think you are? Yeah. And was that scary? I mean, honestly, like writing that first book, was that incredible? No, scary? I, I have this gift of mild delusion <laughs> at all times. And so I just thought, I really thought I was the next Steinbeck. Uh-huh. I thought the world, and then I discovered, the sad thing was discovering I'm not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, you don't have the brain, buddy. Yeah. And then the next thing was pivoting into a career in business. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of honking and shooting the finger. Who do you think you are? We yeah. miss like fat, sad Don. <laughs> we don't like this new success. And then more recently, working with some politicians to help them do some stuff and thinking about politics myself and people like, wait a second, that's not your lane. You're a business guy. Go back into your lane. And it's been interesting just to kind of now have the hindsight to say, oh, yeah, there's that two year tension where people are having to redefine you in their brain. And that makes them uncomfortable because they've categorized you and their life is comfortable with all the players where it is. And you just have to make them uncomfortable for a minute in order to redefine yourself. What if 2018 is the year where you, and I'm talking to the listener, redefine yourself? You actually say, I think I want to become the next evolution of me. Yeah. And I'm just gonna do it, and uh, that I'm actually gonna, gets me so it? excited. As I think you're it is because I that. think human beings are designed to evolve. And yes. Please don't write me. I'm not talking about like Darwinian evolution. <laughs> I mean, just get to become better yeah, versions of themselves. Every healthy thing is growing. Yes. Every unhealthy thing or dead thing is stagnant. Yeah. So if you are the same at the end of 2018 as you are at the beginning of 2018, something is wrong. Yeah. 
you should be a different person yes. to some degree because oh, healthy I'm things change. I'm so excited for 2018. All these people are going to be growing. <laughs> and, but to your point, I think the thing about it is once you start to move that way, there is a lot of fear. And what I'm excited about today is that what we talk about is not that fear is bad. It's if fear holds it's you back. It's neutral. Fear is neutral. Fear is going to happen. And fear can be in many times good. <laughs> it's mostly good. Yeah, it's if there's a rattlesnake a, in your way, then you probably should be should a little be afraid. afraid and get away from it. That's but, right. Fear isn't bad, but we're all going to experience it. And how do you move forward in the light of fear? Not in spite of it, pushing it out of the way and ignoring it, but in light of those fearful moments, how do you move forward, continuing to become who you are supposed to be in light of all of that? And to do that, we've invited back Miles Adcox. Yeah. Miles Adcox is the owner of Onsite Workshops, owner and CEO of Onsite Workshops. He has a regular recurring role on Dr. Phil. Mm-hmm. He's been on Good Morning America and all that kind of stuff. Anybody who knows my writing, at least scary clothes, you know that I went to this place. It was a week-long retreat with yeah. 40 people. It's called Living Centered. You basically spend a lot of time going, okay, it's a little bit of life planning meets understand how the brain works meets group therapy. Yeah. And it was fantastic. Yeah. It was a great experience, and I've been pushing on-site workshops ever since. Well, Miles and I became friends. He's the guy who runs the place, and he you know, is involved in helping high-level executives, high-impact people stop screwing up their lives. We called out to Miles and said, Miles, can you come and talk to us about fear and other things yeah. that is keeping people from holding back? And you know, he got into relationships. He got into intimacy. He got into, you're going to have to be vulnerable this year. Yeah. He's big on don't just come off as strong. Be strong. Yeah. And that's a holistic thing that is, in truth, a lot weaker maybe than what you want your image to be, but really actually strong. Yeah. And I thought it was a fantastic conversation. Anyway, JJ, here is my conversation with Miles Adcox. Miles, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Glad to have you back. Your episode, what, a year ago, two years ago? year ago. It was about a year ago, yeah. It's one of the favorite ones of all the podcasts we've ever had. Really? Yeah, people love it. Wow. And I challenge you to write a book. You did. Will you sign a copy for me? (laughs) (laughs) Page one. (laughs) Only page is a signed copy to you. I'm telling you, I'm going to take that podcast, have a ghostwriter write it, and just deliver it to you. So will you sign this? It's coming. We're working on it. (laughs) I know. You're much more strategic than I am. Well, I try to calculate risk, which makes me move a little slower than mm-hmm. normal. Although I'm getting better at some of it's fear, which I know we may talk a little bit about today. But I was just recently listening to Mark Zuckerberg and his philosophy at Facebook, which is move fast and break things. And we're going to try to borrow <laughs> some of that for my company next year. It's interesting, though, though, because we're good friends. And as I watch you, it's sort of like you're always moving so slow. You got this Tennessee accent. You're completely and totally in the moment, everywhere you go, and you get more done than I do. So I'm really curious about how that's happening. I have a theory that it's just because you're good looking. Well, I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) That it opens doors. (laughs) Use what you got. That's exactly it. I don't got that. You actually do. You're a handsome guy. Oh, thank you very much. I sure appreciate it. You realize I'm married. But anyway, we'll move on. (laughs) I want to talk about fear and how it keeps us from getting what we want. Because I don't think some of us realize as we start this year anew, we're setting goals, we're planning all this kind of stuff. And most of us aren't going to accomplish all of our goals this year. I don't think we realize is that there's some emotional hangups that are causing us to shut down and not get these things done. And a lot of it is, I think, about fear. And I wanted to ask you, 
Is fear one of the things that's holding us back? I think it's probably the main thing that holds us back, consciously yeah. or unconsciously. I think we all have it on board. It's an emotion nobody escapes. Some people don't really look at it or reconcile it. And then when we don't, it will identify us in our strategy, especially around resolutions and all the stuff that happens around the new year, which I'm not a big fan of because they always come with a yeah. big overarching expectation. But absolutely, I think fear is a big obstacle. It's a survival mechanism. It's a healthy thing. Fear is not a terrible thing. But it seems like it just gets out of whack when it prevents us from living a meaningful life, connecting with others on an intimate level, accomplishing some things that feel like they're outside of our perceived identity, those sorts of things. I watched this YouTube video, you know, it was making its round. It was uh, Will Smith back in the day, like, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And he gives this very, like, charismatic speech in front of all these students. And he talks about one time, he and some buddies were out. They'd had a couple drinks, and they decided, we're going to go skydiving tomorrow. And, you know, two drinks in, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> he woke up the next morning and went, oh, no, they were going to do this. And he's, you know, scared the whole time, scared to death, shaking, you know, tied him to some other guy with a parachute on, and, you know, he's freaking out. Just terror from the time he woke up till 3 in the afternoon when he's jumping out of this airplane. And then had the most exhilarating experience you know of his life you know to that point right i can't remember how he described it but he's you know and the fear was a lie the whole time yeah. that he was going to have the greatest experience he had certainly in a long time and the fear was a lie the whole time and his point was you know sometimes this thing is lying to you and you mm. just got to jump out of the airplane i just joined a gym joined a gym in november to kind of ramp up to my january all i want to do is go to the gym 52 times in 2018 this is a very conservative goal you just got to get out there once a week and still, I'm like, man, I don't want to do this. And there's a bit of a fear, and it's not a fear of going to the gym. It's a fear of spending 12 weeks doing this and then quitting. But when I really identify it, there's something that you're afraid of here. You're afraid of finding out you're not as disciplined a person as you want to be. You're afraid of whatever. And the only tool I have, and I'm hoping you give me some more weapons here, the only tool I have is just do it anyway. <laughs> just get in the truck, drive out there, and jump in the pool. Do you think it's fear of us jumping in and doing something new and changing our identity and is fear part of that well i think for a lot of us going to the gym and physical exercise is just unpleasant it's just not that fun now some people love it and actually all of us once we do it and we get the chemical release that comes along with it it's usually, a positive experience it's a positive experience but the idea of it and some for some people it's just not that much fun same goes with fear fear is considered an unpleasant emotion right and therefore we avoid it and I think everybody's strategy to manage fear is to resist it or manage it. And I think it's absolutely backwards. I think the idea is, is that when we embrace it, because fear is not really the problem. It's our relationship with fear. That's yeah, the you talk about these three things. We resist fear, we pretend it's not there, or we over-identify with it. These are strategies to help us understand what's happening in our brain. What do you mean by resist it? Well, fighting emotion typically comes at a cost. I mean, it, it offers like a temporary win, but you're never going to win a championship. Phil Jackson's one of my favorite leaders. Yeah. He put a lot of strategy around meeting with Michael Jordan to convince him not to score as much as he could. And that would be because he was too much of a perfectionist and he was... Because he couldn't win a championship alone. Oh, gotcha. And if he wanted to, he could break every scoring record in the book. And he actually did, but he had to pass the ball to Scottie Pippen if they were going to win a championship. And the only way he could do that was intentionally Give not up score some opportunities. as much. So in other words, he shared his experience with someone else. And same goes back to the gym, which is I don't like going to the gym. This year, I asked for support. 
I told somebody, and this is somebody who's a buff. Right. And I said, I'd like to enjoy it and benefit from it in the way that you do. Could you help me? And he said, absolutely. I've got a trainer I pay for three days a week. We work out at my house. It's 10 minutes away. All you got to do is show up and I'll cover the trainer. And I did, and it made it way more fun. So it's kind of the same thing as Will Smith. Because it was community-oriented? or Well, you can take the benefit of peer pressure or social norms. That's why I love working with groups is because it's the same way of jumping out of the airplane. He felt all that fear, but he'd already agreed with his buddies that they were going to do it, and he went and did it anyway. Right, right. My theory on the gym, and this is a theory yet to be proven, is I'm only going to have positive experiences and try to have positive association with the gym. Therefore, my whole thing with the gym is – once you work out really hard, you set a point where nothing feels like a workout until you do that again. And that's just too painful. It's just it's too much of a negative experience. So my whole thing is go in, work out for about an hour and a half. Don't feel guilty when you say, man, I swam 40 minutes two days ago. Today I only did 20. And I'm Get out of the pool. Go hit the weights. Do something else that's fun and enjoy. So my whole thing is just in the first three months – only have positive experiences at the gym and see if you can train yourself like a stupid dog to keep going back. That's well, the, like subconscious like a pet I'm trying to train. I think part of Is there of something it, to that? Well, no, I think there is. I think when you said train your brain around positive experiences, that's mm -hmm. embracing versus resisting. Yeah, gotcha. Actually, if we can somehow flip the script and own the fact that I hate working out and that's never going to change. And left of my and own, have some grace. Yeah, left of my own devices, I probably would never do it. That's interesting. Are you absolutely want to do it alone, or do you ever open to doing it with anybody else? I'd be open to do it with somebody else. The problem is my schedule's so weird, it's hard, hard to say to 3 o'clock next Thursday I'm available. Yeah, That's the only part. And the other thing is I'm an introvert living an extrovert's life. I knew that, and that's why I was asking. Yeah, and so I like a glass of whiskey and a riding lawnmower because nobody will talk to you if you're riding on a lawnmower. They won't run behind you. And then if you're underwater in a pool, it's very hard for people to swim up next to you and so <laughs> try, to, <laughs> try to get well, a meeting. <laughs> it gives you an opportunity to do something alone. But in a sense, I don't have to be at the gym with you to have a shared experience because you just shared with me your experience at the gym. Well, I think it needs to be both. That needs to be where I get my introvert time, but then I need some community. Anyway, resist. Now, you're saying don't resist it. Kind of dance with it, right? I yeah. mean, admit it's there. Give yourself a lot of grace and try to move forward. You remember the Chinese finger trap? Do you remember that? Where yeah. you put your oh, finger yeah. in, and the harder you try to pull your finger out, the more it grips your finger. It feels like that's true when we're trying to navigate some emotions. You just can't force yourself to stop feeling that. And the second you give yourself some grace, it kind of dissipates a little bit. Well, I think it's important that we don't use the word negative emotions. Cause okay, it's, and why is that? Because I don't think there are really right, bad ones. They're survival. They're yeah, just they're emotions. Yeah. And when we label them that way, it subconsciously plants a seed that we need to avoid it. It's okay to say unpleasant because it's not that much. But if yeah. we, imagine if we avoided everything that was good for us that is unpleasant. Exercise, yeah. diet, That's a very gracious hard conversations. Life. That's very helpful. All right. We resist. We pretend. Does that mean just pretend it's not there? Yeah. We have a tendency to medicate to uh, numb or to run. So for me, when I'm talking to somebody professionally or personally, and they say, I have no fear around this, I immediately have a flag go up. Because <laughs> it tells me that either... And it's They're not, in denial. It's not, well, maybe, or maybe just unconscious that they have no mm. idea, which is kind of similar to denial because you don't have the uh, shame tolerance or the emotional bandwidth to take inventory on where you actually are. We're all human beings and we're all wired to evaluate danger, which is exactly what fear is. It's an unpleasant emotion that helps us look at danger. And here's the thing is we are all going to pretend it doesn't exist initially. 
you've got to give yourself some grace around that. But it absolutely can be an obstacle when we numb up and medicate and don't own it and talk about it. And that's not just true in frame this as going to the gym. We're talking so much more than that. We're talking about accomplishing financial goals. We're talking about accomplishing career goals. We're talking about accomplishing relational goals. How can you help somebody who, you know, let's say there's somebody out there, they really want to get into dating relationships, but they're holding themselves back and they're pretending or they're, they don't believe it's about fear, but really it's about fear. That's a challenge because anybody who's actually there is going, well, that's not me, <laughs> right? How do you know if, if that's you? I mean, is anybody who is clearly not living a healthy life and should be living a healthy life, but isn't, do you think fear is probably involved? I think fear is always involved, relationally, professionally, and personally. And just like the counter to resisting it is to embrace it, right? the counter to pretending that it doesn't exist is to take inventory and own it. And, and how talk. do you do that? You know, Do you sit down and you go, okay, this has got to be fear? I think a lot of people assume that it needs to be dug out of you by a counselor or a professional that would ask you 9,000 questions and come in the back door in order right. to understand your pathology. And actually, it can be buddy to buddy. It's just having the courage and the vulnerability to talk about what you're scared of. Let's get specific here. If you're afraid of intimacy, tell me what somebody should do. Talk about it. Talk about it with a friend. Absolutely. What do they say? Well, okay, let's do it. Okay. I'm four months into being a dad. Yes. Two months in, my wife turned around to me and said, I feel like we're roommates and we're not a married couple anymore. We don't have any intimacy going on. Two things happened. I had a trap door shut in my head immediately, which was defend this as fast as you can to get defense out of this Defense mechanism, spin it. Yeah. yeah, and so I did. I denied it first and went into resistance. And then I had a lot of shame, the fact that I didn't have that experience. Because you felt like, we have an intimate connection here. We well, just, left we my just, own yeah. devices. I'm totally okay just moving in that direction. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Your needs are met. But the truth is I'm not. The truth is I want what were, she wants. She's just better at missing. expressing her emotions. Right. I could go probably a year where she can go two months with a deficit in intimacy. But after a year, I'm going to need intimacy just like she is because it's like oxygen. Human beings just need it. It's just sometimes I'm not as wired as she is to demand it. How quickly did you recognize? Because you shut down and got defensive. Were you able to be self-aware enough to go, okay, let me self-analyze here. I think there's some fear going on or something like that. A day later. Really? 24 hours later? Mm -hmm. And what did that look like? I circled back and actually owned it and said, I think you're right. And I think I've got a big part in it. I think since he's been here, we're both hyper-focused on our son. And it we does give you abandoned the relationship. I mean, having a kid, I mean, I've watched this happen with you guys. That's time intensive. That's incredibly time intensive. But it also gives you this great excuse not to actually connect with your spouse, right? If you have any fear at all, you now have a really easy out. I have a fear around intimacy because... I just don't think I'm that good at it. We tend to move toward the places where we're competent in life. Mm -hmm. Like you put me in a leadership role or somehow making money all day. Intimacy, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to meet this person's needs. <laughs> well, what parts of it do you feel like scare you the most? You know, if I really get down to the tangible stuff, like if we get into a really meaningful conversation, I just won't know what to say. Mm. You know, I just won't know what to say. Yeah. What do you say? Well, well, I mean, I realize most of it is listening. It's not that hard. And Betsy feels, you know, we go in and out of this, but genuinely over the four years that we've been married, we've had a pretty intimate connection. And there are times, one of the things that we're really good at is we're really good at saying, I don't feel like we're connected. Mm. We're really good at that. That dashboard light comes on pretty quick. 
But usually for me, it just means we need to spend some time together. And Betsy's a time spent. Mm -hmm. She wants time. We don't even have to have intense conversations, just some time. But for me, it's you want to talk about business. You want to talk about vision. You want to talk about leadership. You want to talk about fixing the world. You want to talk about finances. I feel incredibly eager and competent to have those conversations. You want to talk about what's going on in our hearts and whether or not we're connected. I don't have the language. So to me, it might be I need to practice with the actual competency of that stuff. Well, I don't know that it's you're identifying something that's necessarily wrong with you. It's what's right with you that you know it. Just like when I said I have fear around intimacy, and mine's around touch because Vanessa's very, she requires physical touch. That would be her love language. And so if it were up to her, every time we would leave a room, we would probably embrace or hug. Not, maybe not that literal, but you know what I mean. That'd be really great in the winter. In yeah. the summer, would be like, we're going to have, we're just not going to have intimacy yeah, or for three more months. Or for a soap opera. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but she's big on goodbyes and hellos and kisses and good nights and all. And, and just I the could, formalities of affirmation. I could function without that. yeah. But when I tell you that, and I hear you, you didn't completely identify with it. You just said, here's where mine is. And I don't feel so alone. And actually, subconsciously, my confidence goes up and I'll have less fear and be able to lean in more just by talking to another human being about it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. They're just people who are good at it. Mike Foster. We just listened yesterday to your interview with Mike Foster on Mike's podcast. He's got a great podcast called Fun Therapy. You were on it. And I was just like, Mike's just like Michael Jordan of talk feeling. He loves it. Yeah, <laughs> he really he does. picked the right podcast, <laughs> he and he's the only, he's one of the only people that would call that fun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, he's trying I'm, to help us all have you know exactly talk about a positive spin on something. Yeah. Anyway, good stuff. All right, so I love this though. The takeaway is if we think that we're pretending, and it's the pretending is caused by fear, we need to actually open up and talk about it. And I go back to Will Smith's thing where with Betsy, here's the thing. As soon as I go, okay, I need to spend some time with – because I do feel like I'm running on empty if Betsy and I haven't spent some time together. That's – you know, I do feel that. But I still don't want to go connect because it feels vulnerable. Hmm. You're not in a place of control or power. You're giving some of that up. But then once I do that, you know, we go out to dinner and I just turn off my cell phone I engage and we talk. It's just the same as jumping out of the airplane. I just go, I love this. This is, it's just it's a weird thing. All right, Stephen Pressfield would say, anything beautiful that you can bring into your life is going to encounter resistance. Anything ugly is a red carpet. <laughs> I think there's some truth to that. I think so too. I'll be back with the rest of my conversation with Miles Adcox in just a moment. Listen, have you ever been asked at a dinner party, so what do you do, and then struggled to give them a simple answer? You say something like, well, it's complicated. You know, my grandfather started a company a long time ago, or I went to college on such and such. And you're literally watching the person that you're talking to, and their eyes are glazing over. They're not interested. That is costing you money. If you have a sub $1 million company, and you depend on new clients coming in the door all the time, the way you're talking about what you're doing is probably turning people off and turning people away, and their money is being spent elsewhere. If that is your problem, I will teach you seven messages that you need to get down and memorize, almost like you're running for president, just sound bites that you can repeat, seven of them, over and over. It's all in my new book, Building a Story Brand. You can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. When you get these seven categories of messages right, and they're sharp and they're clear, People will want your business card. People will want to have coffee with you. People will respond when they go to your website because you use those messages in your marketing collateral, and they will buy products from you. If your products are great, 
but you just can't seem to sell as much as you think you can, as much as you think you have the potential to sell, it's probably your messaging that is the problem. You can solve that problem with the book Building a Story Brand. After you buy the book, that digital receipt that you get from Amazon or Barnes & Noble, forward it to bonus at storybrand.com, and I'm going to send you a video called How to Be a Communication Ninja. It's going to explain how the human brain works, and basically, you're going to understand exactly what people are thinking about while you're talking to them. It'll change the way you talk to them. The bonus is How to Be a Communication Ninja. Again, just forward your receipt to bonus at storybrand.com. Another thing that we tend to do is we over-identify with the fear. Does this mean we start to tell ourselves we're a fearful person or we're not good at this? Or we're... Well, it's really when it gets personal and starts to turn into self-judgment. Okay. And you've, I've heard you talk about this in some of your other podcasts where people get in a victim stance. And I think fear yeah. can do that to us if we over-identify with our pathology. And I would describe pathology as stuck or resistant to change behavior. So we could even put fear in that. When we over-identify with what scares us, it can become our identity. And at some point- And we begin to believe that's who we are. Yeah. Yeah. And we face the world in that way. You know, just studying marketing for these years, I'm convinced here's the two biggest things that basically decide who we vote for, what products we buy, who we hang out with, the two biggest things are our identity, who we believe we are, and our tribe. And studies show that you will actually knowingly choose to believe something that's not true Hmm. if it helps you associate with a tribe. Hmm. Because a tribe is a survival mechanism. These people are going to help you stay alive because we're going to fight those bad guys. And so you will knowingly believe a lie, knowing that it's a lie, and have this duality of mind in order to associate with a tribe. And the other studies show there's almost nothing that you will ever do to choose against your identity. Hmm. So if you believe that you are somebody who is bad at math, there's almost no choice that you will ever make that would associate you with being good at math. Or Hmm. do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Or you know, if you believe you're a, a dumb Southern redneck, you will almost never identify as having any sort of intelligence, not because you don't have intelligence, but because you believe that is who you are. Mm. And so, oh, it's psychocybernetics. That's the book that I'm thinking about. And identity is everything. You know, really, when you're watching a car commercial for Mercedes or Infinity or whatever, they're selling an identity. Mm. They're not selling a car. They're selling an identity of a sexy, successful person, you know, who has their life together and is driving this car. And the reason you want that car has nothing to do with the car. It has everything to do with that you want to be successful, sexy person. You're selling this identity. I only bring all that up from a marketing perspective because... If you identify as somebody who can't succeed this year, it will be almost impossible for you to do that. And the only way that you can actually begin to change that is to say, just plant a little seed of doubt. What if what I believe about myself isn't actually true? I'm more than my beliefs. Yeah. My beliefs cannot be trusted. Yeah. Which is a scary thing to say. My beliefs about myself and my opinions cannot be trusted. So depending on you know, what line of work I'm doing, which, you know, we work in the corporate space and leadership space some, and we work in the helping profession more with onsite. So often we're just helping people say what they need to say and rewrite what parts of their narrative aren't working for them. And typically people will come in and if they've done any kind of self-evaluation or inventory, they come in with labels or beliefs about who they are based on their previous experience. Right. So for instance, if we were talking about people in recovery, they would come with the label of alcoholic, or addict, or I'm depressed, or I'm anxious. And the first 
place we would start is, well, okay, that's part of your story and you're more than your story. Yeah. And what's the rest of you? Because some people, when we get over-identified with it, it becomes an excuse. I remember that after leaving Onsite, after discovering codependency and realizing I had some codependent tendencies, and then years later realizing I don't and I no longer need to identify as that anymore, but it's a switch. I do want to give people a few things to leave with or to start this year with. Everything is really driven and navigated and governed by these internal emotions that are fueling us or shutting us down. And you talk about identifying uncomfortable or unnecessary or misguided emotions. I don't want to use the word negative. You talk about reevaluating them, owning them, and inspecting them. ROI. I think it's a good place to start the year. What do you mean by reevaluate? When I talk about ways to harness the power uh, or embrace fear, I like three steps of reevaluate, own, and inspect it. And the reason I use reevaluate instead of embrace is because you heard me say the number one obstacle is when we resist it or pretend it doesn't exist. Right. We're going to do that no matter what. And I want to say right out of the gate, I've been doing this for a long time, and I still have the feeling of resisting something that's uncomfortable come up for me. But I get the opportunity now to push pause and reevaluate that existence so that I can then embrace it. It's not as easy as flipping the script and saying, well, the opposite of resist is embrace. It's, nope, I'm typically going to resist. And I give myself some grace, pause, and then reevaluate that experience so that I can understand the fear instead of pretend like it doesn't exist. And reevaluate, when you say reevaluate, are you saying, hey, how is this a positive thing? What does it mean to reevaluate? It's not necessarily. Reevaluate is like something used to be not valued very high. And now I value it highly or valued high and now valued low. You know, you reevaluate something. That's the context I think of that word in. First thought when fear comes up is resist it at all costs. Right. Reevaluate that experience and embrace it at all costs. And when I say embrace, it just means acknowledge the existence that it's there. It doesn't mean trying to change it, trying to, you know, make it a positive thing. It's just acknowledging that it's there yeah. because it will always be there no matter what we do. We could run to 900 countries trying to outrun it and it will always be there when we get home. Okay, ownership. We have to own it. Is that the opposite of resist? Well, earlier we talked about pretending or armoring up that it's not there and owning it is basically just taking responsibility for it. And that's one of the things that my profession from a counseling standpoint often can work against because we will help you identify all the early imprints, trauma or whatever, on why this belief system exists or where this trigger comes from or why this fear, conscious or unconscious, is currently showing up in your life. But at some point, we have to flip into, yes, that happened to you, and you're the one that's responsible that can change the belief system. So when fear comes up- It's we just have accepting to, agency. There's freedom and ownership. Yeah, Initially, it can be overwhelming, but there's ultimately freedom and ownership. And we ultimately don't reconcile fear until we own that we're the people that can actually do it. Okay, finally, inspect. Inspecting is looking closely at it. That's so important. And again, these don't necessarily have to be in order, but often we will embrace it, own it, but we don't try to understand it. And that's what, honestly, we do all the time is help people go back into their story and understand. Because think about where fear of intimacy has shown up. We talked about that mm -hmm. earlier. And for me, it created a relational pattern that tripped me up for years. And I ran through relationships and made a lot of bad mistakes. And until I went back and reconciled, here's the imprint, here's where it came from, here's what I can do to resolve it, 
I'm the one that can make this change and the change began to happen. And I met my relational goals. I'm incredibly happy yeah. to be married. I'm a great dad. All that wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have, have owned it, embraced it, and looked deeply at where it came from. You know, you guys taught me something at OnSite. How long has it been since I was at Living Center? Five years? At least five years. At least five years, because yeah. I got married four years ago. So yeah. it would have been yeah, about five years ago. The counselor, Barbara was her name, basically said, Don, I want you to choose somebody in our group to play you. I chose somebody to play me. He kind of knelt down on the floor, played me when I was a kid. So you're five years old. She said, describe how you were feeling. I said, unstable, afraid, dad just left. Things were just you know, being shook up a little bit from a five-year-old perspective. Those things can be scary. And she said, okay, I want you to look at yourself at five years old and explain the kind of life that you've actually built for that five-year-old's future. Mm. You know, and I said, well, it's really stable. It's a lot of healthy relationships. It was one of the most freeing things. And I found myself five years later, I hadn't really thought about that moment much. I mean, it was very nice in the moment to go, oh, you actually accomplished a lot. That kid's going to be okay. But it was really interesting the other day because now the company's growing. You know, there's some high stakes stuff that we're involved in. My dreams are bigger than I think I can probably accomplish swimming out past the breakers a little bit. It was interesting. I went back and said, okay, let's pretend you're 66. And as a 66-year-old Donald Miller, turn around and tell the 46-year-old that thing's going to be okay and mm. tell him why. Mm. And one of the big things for me was, hey, I'm not going to tell you whether or not you succeed or fail, but I'm going to tell you, you had a blast doing it and you really have some great relationships because of it. And to me, that was the most comforting thing in the world of just being able to say, you might not win, but that's not the point. You might fail. The point is it was something to do that preoccupied your time and kept you from experiencing an existential void, as our friend Viktor Frankl would say. And you got great relationships. You had a meaningful life because of it. And what in the hell is there to be afraid of? Mm. It was really good. And I see part of that is everything that we've talked about, acknowledging the fear exists, inspecting it a little bit, dancing with it, not trying to control it. Don't be afraid. You're such a wimp. If you're ever going to be a great man, you're going to have to deal with fear. Like, you know, all that stuff that we tend to shame ourselves with. It was just really a great thing. Well, uh, affirm me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think we typically throw away experience and wisdom with age. In our culture, especially when people get older, we put them in communities and we try to manage them and because we don't know what to do with them. And ultimately, our older selves have a great message for our younger selves. And you can go backwards or forwards anytime you want. I don't know why that was so freeing, but Miles, it really was. Mm. What was psychologically happening when the pretend imaginary 66-year-old me was looking back? Because Viktor Frankl actually says to do this. He says to pretend this is the second time you've lived this life and don't make the same mistakes. Mm. That's a brilliant way to approach life. Pretend it's your second go around and don't make the same mistakes again. Mm. What's going on psychologically? Why did that take away so much fear? Well, when we get in a place of fear, typically we fight, flight, or freeze. Right. And the way I've always seen it play out, at least with me and with a lot of people, is we relationally we run, professionally we freeze, and personally we fight. And so our brain, there's a lot going on. I don't want to get into the neuroscience of what's going on in your brain when fear happens, but what we need is to be heard and we need to know it's okay. And yeah. I think what happened for you in that moment is you heard that it's going to be okay mm. from your older self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. It's always will, been okay. I mean, there have been rough moments, but yeah. it's always been okay. You could okay. do life again, make the same mistakes, and it's still going to be okay. Yeah. 
Absolutely we need to fine. be told that, as you said, affirmed over and over and over again that it's going to be okay. And think, I'm thinking about right now with my four-month-old little boy, and when he's five years old, how am I going to treat him when he's scared of the world? It's mm. going to be okay. Yeah. I'm not in it to push or pull him where I think he needs to go or try to support him to outrun his fear. I want to join him and embrace him and say it's going to be okay. Well, I think that's a good word to end on. It's going to be okay. Miles, thank you. Thanks. So 2018, JJ, a year of intimacy, yes. vulnerability, yes. honesty, yes. actual yes. strength, yes. moving into fear, yes. reimagining who you can be, yes. not being uh, stuck in the slow lane uh, anymore. I'm so excited. And it, I honestly, when you said that before the interview, I got a little bit of chills thinking about everybody like starting to set goals. So I'm excited to hear back from people of who yeah, they are you at the end of this year. What you do? And I think the key thing is like slow pace. Yeah. But keep moving. Yep. Consistency over intensity. Yeah. Don't burn out in month one. Next week's guest, Daniel Pink. Daniel Pink has had a book on the New York Times bestsellers list for most of his life. <laughs> From like two years old on. on yeah. He's yeah. one of the smartest people I've ever met. I actually met him in person backstage at an event in Atlanta last uh -huh. year, I think, and hit it off. He's just brilliant. Yeah. And he wrote to, to Sell as Human, and he's written a couple other books. He, he really is uh, one of the, I think, the premier thinkers and communicators on how the brain works and what's really going on. Yeah. He's written a book called When, not W-I-N, W-H-E-N, when, mm -hmm. when, and it's all about the fact that we do a lot of thinking about how to do something. We do a lot of thinking about why to do something, but we never think about when to do something. Yep. And he said there's actually, scientifically, timing involved in your success. Timing on what you do during a given day, timing on what you do during a given year, timing on a decade on when you are going to be most productive in certain tasks. And wow. it, I found it very interesting, and I think our listeners will too, yeah. because it may just change when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you watch TV, when you walk the dog, when you do certain tasks, may change after this interview to double or more your productivity. Here's a little clip from my conversation with Daniel Pink. When we're in our peak period, again, for people like you and me, it's the mornings. For you know, night owls, it's much later in the day. We tend to be very vigilant. That's one of the key words there, is vigilant. We can keep out distractions. Later in the day, even though we're you know, alert again, we're alert but not as vigilant. And the interesting thing here is that when you're doing the lockdown, heads down work, you wanna be vigilant. You don't want any distractions. When you're doing creative stuff, you actually wanna be a little looser. If you're doing brainstorming, you don't wanna be so vigilant and reject every idea that comes in. And so the key here is what social psychologists call the synchrony effect, which is to match up, like, what's your type? Are you an owl, a lark in between? What's your task? Is it analytic work, administrative work, or creative work? And what's your time? Is it early in the day, middle of the day, or, or late in the day? And it's not like this is going to guarantee you're going to become some kind of superstar. But what the research shows is that time of day explains about 20% of the variance in human performance on these kinds of cognitive tasks. So it, it doesn't mean timing is everything, as people like to say, but it does mean it's a big thing. And we can eke out more productivity, more creativity, if we begin to restructure our schedules to the extent we're able to do that around some of this science. 
So be sure to tune in again next week. The entire conversation is fantastic. Yeah. That's next week. Make sure you subscribe to the Building a Story Brand podcast. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. Mm -hmm.